to repeat God's word over and over until it becomes part of the fabric of our mind and our hearts. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious one in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And on the back of your sermon outline as well are two passages from the book of Acts, where the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, both preaching about the resurrection from the dead, run back to Psalm 16. And we will be looking at that in a few moments and learn how David was a prophet who spoke of the centrality of the resurrection of Jesus so that we would live forever. So far, the reading of God's Word. There is a picture in our church office that I love, and uh, uh, Martin got his s cell phone out and took this picture and sent it to me. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but right in the center, right in that doorway, is a, is a man standing, a little guy standing there as the storm surge rushes about him. And he takes refuge in that strong tower. And I love this picture that we have right near the photocopier in the church because it reminds me of the many, many places in the Bible that says, In you, O Lord, I take refuge. And this is one of the great refuge psalms in the Bible. We studied Psalm 32. It says, You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. We've learned together many times, uh, Proverbs 18, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And of course, Psalm 18. He is a shield. For all those who take refuge in him. And so it is the practice of the Christian. It should be your practice and my practice to take refuge in the Lord. Psalm 16 is one of the richest psalms in the Bible. And by that I mean in these short 11 verses, you have on the one hand this picture of of what the Christian life is like when you, when you live the Christian life. 
And then you have this picture of what the blessings are that flow to the Christian as God blesses the Christian who takes refuge in him. And then, on top of that, you have this messianic psalm. So it both speaks to David's life and to your life, but then it speaks of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And it speaks of how God will not abandon him to the grave. And it's, it's a classic messianic psalm. And so it's, it's rich and complex. Edmund Clowney tells us that David sings the psalms. But Clowney also says that Jesus sings the psalms. And I love this because he says, uh, if you study the Gospels, there are times when Jesus sings and he's singing with the disciples. He sings the psalms. But even more, he lives the Psalms. The Psalms are about him as they foreshadow righteousness and what God does. Jesus is the singing Savior. But because he's the singing Savior, and because he's your Savior, you sing the Psalms. And in your union with Jesus Christ, you're lifted up and experience the gospel in real time here and now in your life. There's this cycle. As we study the Psalms, David to Jesus, Jesus to you. So the reality is that Jesus sings these words, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. That makes sense that Jesus would say that. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. That makes sense that Jesus would know that. You have made known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus sings that. But because he sings that and because it's a reality in his life, you sing it. These words are true for you. What is the path of life that Jesus makes known? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He says, I am the path back to God. And it gets us excited about our relationship with Jesus Christ when all the benefits that David is singing about are true for us because they are true for Jesus. So, in the first half of the psalm, as David takes refuge in God... There are four things that just jump off the page at me. I'm sure there are many more, and, uh, and, and we, could, we could study this for many weeks, but just four things that jump off the page as we take refuge in God, we take refuge, David says explicitly, for safety. And there we find contentment. And it leads to fellowship with the saints that is rich and blessed for us and freedom from idolatry. It leads to safety. When you take refuge in the struggles of life, you are safe in Jesus Christ. Now, apparently, David was in a crisis when he wrote this psalm. And uh, not everybody agrees with this, but I'm, I, am, I am awfully sure from just my own study of this psalm that this came out of the episode in 1 Samuel 26, where, where King Saul is chasing down David. And you remember Saul and his armies are pursuing David. And, and, and there was that night when Saul and his men are asleep in the cave. You remember that? And David sneaks in. And he 
could take his dagger and do away with this enemy who wants to destroy him. But he knows. He dares not touch the Lord's anointed. So do you remember what David does? He just cuts off a piece of Saul's robe and then he sneaks out of the cave and waits till morning and as Saul comes out of the cave, David shouts to him across the canyon and Saul says, Is that you, David? David holds up the piece of the robe and he says, I was there. You could feel my hot breath on you. He says, Why are you chasing me? You want to destroy me like you would a flea. I'm no more than a flea. And then David says in verse 19 of 1 Samuel 26 that these wicked men have incited Saul against David. Saul, you should know better. These wicked men have incited you against me. David says, they have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, Go serve other gods, which are two verses that, that's two things that he refers to about his inheritance and about serving other gods. They told him to serve other gods. That's what this psalm is talking about. So I think it, its origin is, is located in these, this crisis in his life when he's running for his life. And it's wonderful to see, isn't it, how David takes refuge in the Lord. He says, first, I find safety in you. And we who are Christians, we have to believe that wherever we are, we are in the palm of his hand. You read some of the testimonies of the soldiers in Afghanistan, in Iraq, the Christian men and women who serve over there, and you hear some of their stories of how how the Lord has kept them in, in, in difficult situations. And, and your heart, I hope, resonates to that. Maybe you have been in hard times. You've gone through a divorce. You've experienced bankruptcy. Your family may have turned against you. You're shaken. What do you do? Where do you go? In my own life, times of, of danger, physical danger or spiritual danger, when I'm aware of the mess I've made of my life, where do you go? David says, I love this first verse, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. And Paul says in Ephesians, this wonder, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, verse 3, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. This is really important for the sanity of every Christian, true Christian. I'm hidden in Christ. I am in union. I'm enveloped by Jesus Christ. And one of the Wesley brothers, I can't remember which one, he said, when you know your life is hidden in Christ, then you can say to men and devils, do your worst. Because you're safe. And I want you to believe that today. Wherever he takes you, find refuge in him. Now, secondly, he says, my provision is from the Lord. And I find this wonderful. Not only is my provision from the Lord, but my provision is good. And, and um, this is startling because David's running around the, the, 
desert mountainous terrain of Israel being hunted like a flea. And yet there's this sense, the Lord is my inheritance. And I may not have a mansion on the north shore of Long Island, he might say, but my inheritance is good. Why? Why does he say this? He says it because God is his portion. God is his portion. And he feels rich. Paul says in Corinthians that those who belong to Jesus Christ, he says to those who belong to Jesus Christ, he says, all things are yours. That's a strange verse, and I must tell you, I'm not sure I understand it. He says, all things are yours if you belong to Jesus Christ. There is a lavish spiritual wealth that he has blessed us in Jesus Christ with all the blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1 verse 3. And David has a sense of this. Blessed. Have you learned what that means? It means contentment. Contentment. The old Puritan writer Jeremiah Burroughs, he wrote a book with a fantastic title. The title of the book is The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And Burroughs says, it's more valuable than diamonds. You know, you turn on the radio, every other commercial is, buy gold, buy gold, buy gold. It's more valuable than gold to have the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It's funny, Jesus said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Yet he was full of joy. He was content in his relationship with his heavenly Father. Paul writes this. He says, whether we are, I guess the old King James puts it, whether we are abased or abounding, what does that mean? Whether we have very little or whether we have very much, I have learned the secret of contentment. It's a lesson that has to be learned. It's not something that's natural to our sinful flesh. I know what's natural to my flesh. What's natural to my flesh is to covet. What's natural to my flesh is to worry. What's natural to my flesh is to complain about what I don't have when I see what you have. David, right here, is such a picture for us of this rare jewel of Christian contentment. And then as he's taking refuge in Jesus, he doesn't know it's Jesus yet, but as he's taking refuge in Jesus, as he's finding contentment in Christ, he says something that might surprise you down in verse 3. David looks out and he sees his fellow believers. And he says, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. And he says, you know what really makes me happy? being with my friends in the Lord. <laughs> he says, I really love the church. I love being in the church and somehow being in the body of Christ and delighting in each other in the body of Christ is a function of being safe in the Lord, is a function of finding refuge in Him, is a function of being content in Him. And you know, that's why we love to get together Sunday after Sunday. We love to be here. We love to greet each other. We love to hang out together. In our home fellowship groups, we look forward to being together. 
in the youth group. You should hear. It's so much fun as uh, on, that, on the top floor next door to the youth room. And they come bounding up the stairs on Sunday nights to youth group, getting ready for the games and the Bible study and everything. They come bounding up and they greet each other. And they're like puppies, happy to be together. It's like, wow, it's great to see you. It's fantastic. They are delighting in each other in the youth group of this church. One of our home fellowship groups, I just saw some emails. You know, they were meeting every other week. And, and they said, you know, we just can't do this every other week thing. We want to get together every week. Maybe it's the women's Bible study. Maybe it's the men's group on Tuesday nights. But we are so glad to see each other. That's what David says. And really, that's a function of union with Jesus Christ because Jesus so delights in his people. He delights in his people. Now, some of us are a little introverted. You know, a lot of churches hire extroverts to be pastors. I confess, I am an extrovert if you haven't figured that out. One of the dangers of being an introvert is thinking that you don't need people. It's thinking, I need to protect myself from people. People make me nervous. People make me jumpy. People might ask me about myself. And, I, you know, it's, a, it's extra hard for you. I'm not, we don't blame God for wiring you as make, maybe a little more introverted, but you have a challenge in your life. It's a little harder for you to say Psalm 3. These are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. But I think today maybe God wants to work in you just a little bit and give you that delight that Jesus has. You see each other. You greet each other. You're safe together. Can we be that way? I, I always marvel at those passages in the Gospels where Jesus went to parties. He just learned how to delight in people. David is delighting in people. Tonight we get together. We just delight in being together. The body of Christ. The fellowship of the forgiven. The, the, the gang of the holy. Here we are. Set apart for him. And we enjoy each other. And then, of course, fourth, David turns away from idols. And God gives him freedom from idolatry at the moment when he is so tempted. Because he is... Someone would observe him and say, well, this guy's down on his luck. <laughs> Remember what those scoundrels said to him? They said, you have no part in the inheritance of the Lord. And David says, you're right. And you're running for your life like there's a fly swatter after the flea. And then they said to him, so go worship other gods. Has someone ever said that to you or suggested that to you? either directly or on television, go worship other gods. But David knew what Jesus taught. David knew what I hope you'll hear, what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. David did know the first commandment. Do you know the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And so David's 
down on his luck. That's luck in the Calvinistic sense, of course. David's, he's down and out. He's, he's struggling. And they say, go after other gods. And David says, I will not. I will not even take their names on my lips. Let men and devils do their worst, you see. You are hidden in Christ with God. Your refuge is in him. Have you found refuge in Jesus Christ? Today's the day. If you've never found refuge in him, today's the day of salvation. Be like the guy as the storm surge is washing around him and run to that strong tower, Jesus Christ. But then in the second half of the Psalms, you'd think David gets excited because David starts talking about the blessings of refuge in the Lord. And he speaks of these particular blessings. Oh, oh! Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, You have received all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So there's many of them. David just mentions four like a gatling gun. Bam, 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 bam. And out they come. If you are in, have refuge in the Lord, God will give you his guidance. God will give you stability in your life. God will give you resurrection. And God promises you endless joy and bliss in heaven forever. Down in verse 7, David says, My heart is full of praise because he guides me with his counsel. Even at night, my heart instructs me. That's really interesting, this even at night business. Someone might be thinking, isn't there one of the Psalms that says, God gives to his beloved sleep? And those of you who struggle with insomnia, sometimes I struggle with insomnia, you know, and you lay awake at night. And then God gives you that blessed sleep, but it's healing and it's refreshing. But the Bible teaches us here that there are unique times when you can't sleep. And it's because God's made an appointment with you. Did you know that? The next time you're awake in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, you say, Lord, have you made an appointment with me? And you go get your Bible. <laughs> and you go let the promise that you need wash over you. You go get the instruction that you need. Lord, what do you want to instruct me with? You know, I actually asked him this week to make some appointments with me in the middle of the night. And he did. And even just working on this sermon, the Lord meeting with me, thinking about getting excited about these things. Don't go to UHF television, infomercials in the middle of the night. There's no UHF television anymore, right? Don't go to middle-of-the-night infomercials. If you can't sleep, it's because God has an appointment with you to encourage your soul, to instruct your soul, to clean your soul. It's a beautiful thing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That's how Jesus lived. If Jesus sings this psalm, he says, I do nothing without what I, except for what I see the Father doing. Jesus had this counsel with his heavenly Father. He just lived it always, always. He's the only one who could say, I always set the Lord before me. 
See, that's why this is a messianic psalm. The only person who could ever say always about that relationship with God the Father was Jesus Christ. He sought God's counsel. And he received it. So do you. Well, it leads to to stability. In verse 8, David talks about, listen to how he puts it. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And that phrase, I set God at my right hand, is a very beautiful one. It's not uncommon, even in the prophets, where uh, when, when you set God at your right hand, it's like your lawyer is there with you. If you've ever stood in front of a judge, you are glad to have a good lawyer right there at your side. If you've ever been at a battle and the bullets are flying or the swords are coming after you, you want a champion right there at your side, an advocate. The Bible tells us that's Jesus Christ. At your right hand, 1 John, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If you've made a mess, if you've fallen in sin, if you're confused and lost, you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Your champion. The youth group is going to make this video uh, for Palm Sunday. And uh, we, I don't know all that, that the screenplay has in this five-minute piece, but I know this. They are going to remind us that we have a champion. We have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he sets us free. I've set the Lord at my right hand. I will not be moved, the old song goes. Can you say that? Can you say that? Repeat this after me. I have set the Lord at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Amen. That's a big part of our witness as Christians, you know. A big part of our witness as, as followers of Jesus Christ is that we are not moved when the storm comes. And some of your friends have noticed that about you. And they say, wow, where does your composure come from? And you've had the opportunity. I know your story. Some of you have had the opportunity to say, my composure, my sense of safety and refuge. Why? It comes from my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God is always with me. He encourages my heart. And that's been your testimony. Listen, don't make light of that. Look for opportunities to testify about the composure the sweet composure that he gives you. Stability. But now, now, verses 9 through 11, the intimacy with God grows into a certainty that death is not the end. An intimacy that is going to continue forever. Because you see, apparently David understands that God is not going to give up on him And Jesus, as he sang that psalm, he knew that God was not going to give up on him, nor let his Holy One see decay. And here you have the seed of the resurrection of the dead, that this life is not all that there is. Oh, the Bible teaches clearly, the outer man is wasting away. There is a day appointed for every one of us to die. The book of Hebrews tells us everyone 
that's ever been born lives in fear of death. You might deny it. You might pretend it's not there. But there is an anxiety that everyone has about death. And so David understands God will not abandon him even at the time of death. Do you know this? Jesus told his disciples, evil men will put me to death, but on the third day I will rise again. And so Peter, and when he's trying to explain what happened at Pentecost, this is so fascinating to me. I don't know if this puts caffeine in your tank or not, but uh, for me, I'll tell you, this is so wonderful. Because after Pentecost happens, Peter's preaching and he's trying to explain to to the people what has happened. And he goes back to the book of Joel... And he says from the prophecy of Joel, the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, not just on the Jews, but on the Gentiles. It's going to come in a wonderful way. And he goes to Psalm 110, and he talks about how God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ in this messianic psalm, but in the middle of it all. (laughs) He says, but let me explain to you the resurrection of which we are eyewitnesses. And then he quotes from Psalm 16. And he says, Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And he says, David died, and his body is in the tomb to this day. But David was a prophet. And he spoke of one of whom death could not hold. Death could not hold Jesus Christ. He burst out of the grave. One writer puts it like this. He says, The grave could not hold Jesus any more than a mother can hold its child when it's time for that baby to be born. Had to come out. He had to come out of the grave. And he says, The birth pangs of death. You see, it's really a good metaphor. When, when the birth pangs come, when the contractions happen, it's time. And so it was in the fullness of time God sent his son who died and rose again from the dead. David was a prophet. And there is resurrection. And the Bible says, you, you and you, in the twinkling of an eye, when the trumpet sounds and your body is in the grave, he takes a molecule and like a seed, he raises you up to a flower, and you're changed. We shall all be changed in an instant. We do not know when that day is, but we know that that day is. It's called the resurrection of the dead. And then something happens in that day, something to follow. Oh, friends, I hope you're trusting in Jesus Christ. This psalm takes us through life, but then it takes us through death to the life that is truly life. And he says in verse 11, You will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is your destiny. Eternal pleasures. I don't know what you think of when you think of pleasures, but each of you, you have special pleasures in your life. Some of you are foodies. You know, a certain food gives you pleasure. Some of you are sportsmen, sportswomen, and there are things about uh, the activity that gives you pleasure. Some of you are artists, and when you see the beauty 
of something. It gives you pleasure. You are musicians. You hear music that you love, and it causes your soul to thrill. I tell you, when that moment happens, you got a glimpse. You only got a tiny glimpse of what is to come in heaven forever. <laughs> you know, there are lots of books. I have, I have to say this carefully. There are a lot of books written by non-Christians and Christians. And they tell the story of, well, I flatlined. You know, the, the, the line went beep. And they, they say, and, 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 and my soul left my body, and I went to a tube, a long tube, and there was a nice warm light at the end of the tube. And then I heard a voice, and the voice said, oh, you have to go back now. And some of them are lovely Christian stories, and some of them are written by non-Christians who say, you know, and I learned about the, uh, the Buddhist religion and, there's, and uh, reincarnation. Just, this is just me. I'm not interested in any of those books. Maybe they're helpful for you. David says it ain't a warm light at the end of a tube. It is eternal bliss in the presence of God where every tear is washed away from your eye. Every regret that you carry with you in this life, every failure that you've experienced, every sin that darkens and stained, has stained your soul, every fear that, that plagues you now will be wiped away. You will be made new in Him and you will experience, raised from the dead, face to face with the one we are told who dwells in unapproachable light. There is such power in God that he just whispers and the galaxies explode into existence. That's where you're headed. And it will be pleasure, exalting, high and beautiful at his right hand forevermore. Wow. What is your confidence in life and in death? Heidelberg Catechism, question one. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? Is that true for you? Don't leave here today without that being true for you. Why? Because this was true of Jesus Christ. Peter tells you, Paul tells you when they talk about the resurrection, your hope is in the one that death could not hold, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Well, some of us need to let Psalm 16 sink deeper into our hearts. Maybe today, this is the day you take refuge in him. Maybe today is the day when you say, I've got to learn how to delight in the body of Christ. I just need to learn how to enjoy fellowship. My introverted self-protective nature needs to be put aside a little bit, and I need to learn to delight in God's people. Maybe someone else says, I need contentment. I need that rare jewel the pastor was talking about today. I need Jesus to, to give me that same contentment, satisfaction in life, 
that I need to know he is my portion even when my inheritance is taken away from me. What do you need from him? He's going to do some business with us now. Which blessing do you want to have from him? Will you let him touch you? We're going to sing this song. All my days I will sing this song of gladness. He says, I yearn to dwell where the glory never fades. Where countless worshipers will sing one song. And you know what we do in this church when we get to that cry of worthy to the Lamb. We don't just sing it. We shout it out, worthy to honor the Lamb. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's come to him now and invite him to do some work in our hearts. Our Father in heaven, some of us need guidance from you, counsel. Maybe at night, maybe tonight you'll wake us up and say, I have an appointment with you. And your word will drill deeply into our souls. Some of us need stability in our lives. We are, we're feeling shaken. The storm surge is crashing around us. And we are anxious people. And we pray for a work, a good work in us. Lord, that you bring a stability to us, a composure to us that is actually a good witness for you to our family and friends, people where we live and work and where we play. Some of us, some of us are honest about our fear of death. And today what we need is to know of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior, deep in our hearts. And we would find our peace and our comfort and our hope in him. Give us a taste even now, Lord, of the bliss of heaven, the eternal bliss that is ours. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.